Lord, forgive us for those times when it was more important how we look to others than how we look to you. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for being divided, for being willing to exercise our rights to trample on others. Forgive us. Forgive us, Almighty God, for those times where we have chosen what was comfortable instead of the cross. Forgive us, O Lord. Heal us. Minister in this place. Mend us, Almighty God, and unite us. Jesus, just as you prayed, you said, Father, make them one as we are one, that the world may know that you sent me. Lord, make us one, please, that the hands would walk, or that the feet would walk, that the hands would serve, that the mouth would speak your words and your will. So we ask, O Lord, for revival, that you would revive our hearts that once beat with holy fervor, that you would revive our hearts that pumped with resurrection power, that you would revive our hearts that burned with gospel mission, that you would revive our hearts that were in sync with yours, that matched rhythm and intensity. Revive our hearts that loved you completely. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. L'chaim, to life. If you're in Israel, you might hear that often. To life, it's a toast. Many cultures have a similar phrase that they use, but perhaps no other culture is older with their phrase, l'chaim, to life. It's interesting, a, a culture that stewarded a message of God for the entire world that we could have life. In fact, someone once said that the word of God was given to us that we could have life and experience it, that this life is not just an eternal life that happens on the other side, but rather an eternal life that begins today that can be experienced in the now. L'chaim, to life. It's this message of life that I don't think we can totally get. That I think that sin is a much bigger deal than we even realize. I believe that sin and the effects of sin, how it has uh, separated us from God, is a bigger deal than we often even give credit to. That there is this God who wants us to experience his life. And so we're going to talk about that. We're in 1 Kings chapter 21 today, and I just want to note, there aren't any slides. Uh, That was done very purposefully today. It's not because someone didn't do their job. In fact, they did, and I still didn't do the slides. And here's why. I really want to encourage us to get into the Word today. We're going to be in different sections of the Scriptures, and I want to encourage you to get your Bible out, underline and highlight. If you're like, I didn't have it this time, didn't bring mine this time, that's okay, bring it next time. That's fine. Follow along with me. I'll, I'll speak it out. I'll shout it out so you can hear me. Um, but there, there's nothing on the screens today. Um, we're in 1 Kings chapter 21. And as you're turning there, I want to get us on the same page. 
So this is what's happened. Ahab saw some property next to his. It was a vineyard. It was a really good vineyard, and he wanted it. And he was the king of Israel, so he asked for it. And he even said, I'll tell you what, I would be willing to trade you better land for that land. I would be willing to pay you for that land, but I want that land. And Naboth says, no, no thanks. I don't want to sell you my land. Uh, This is land that I have gotten from my family. My family has worked this land. I don't want to sell it. It's not for sale. It's my land. Sorry. And so Ahab does what any great and powerful king would do. He goes home and immediately goes to his bed and starts to cry. (laughs) He whines. (laughs) I can't have that land. He goes into depression. I can't have that land. It's so bad that his wife Jezebel comes to find him and says, what are you doing? And he tells the story and she goes, but you're the king of Israel. What are you doing? She goes, I'll take care of this for you. So she writes a letter to Naboth's neighbors and they're going to throw a great party for him. And there are going to be some wicked people there or useless men as Uh, It's referred to in some places. Not my judgment. That's what the scripture says, not me. And um, these men give false testimony. And the false testimony is that Naboth has uh, falsely blasphemed God and the king. They stone him to death. And Ahab gets the property. Well, God tells Elijah to go down to this property where King Ahab is and confront King Ahab with a message. In confronting King Ahab with this message, King Ahab says, well, you know, you, you bother me, <laughs> basically is his response to Elijah. You bother me. You're irritating. And Elijah goes into deeper detail. And that's where we pick it up. We are in 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25 is where we're going to begin If you would look there, uh, it's uh, page 334 in my Bible. Probably not yours, but uh, it is in mine, just so you know. Verse 25. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. And so this seems very odd to me. And we may look at this and go, what what in the world, God? Why would you allow this murderer, this man who has brought in false false idols and, and commanded, demanded, encouraged, equipped, all of those things, the children of Israel, to find other gods? Why, why would you relent judgment on him? That doesn't seem fair. How about to Naboth's family? How is that fair to them? It's not fair, God. 
Why would God do that? And especially, maybe you're thinking, well, maybe this was just some real humility. There is a transformation. There is an inward revival. God addresses him. He responds in faith to him. Uh, and from that point on, he leads Israel out and toward him. No, that's not what happens. The very next chapter, Ahab is at it again. And it's not like God didn't know that would happen. God is not bound by time. He knows what has happened in the past. He knows what is happening in the present. And he knows what will happen in the future. And he sees it just as clear as you and I see one another today. It's not like he was surprised. So why would God relent? Why would he do that? And I think the question that... that um, I, it's off. The question looks from a human perspective and we need to see God's story. We need to look from God's perspective. We need to see this life. Jesus said it this way. Uh, he, he goes, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And it is this idea of life that is laced throughout Scripture, is always connected with God and his son, Jesus. Life is a big deal. So let's talk about that. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates man and woman in his image. He creates them male and female. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. God says, you can eat of anything in the garden except of the tree, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can't eat of that because if you do, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Chapter 3. Adam and Eve eat of that fruit. But... They go on and live another 900 years. So how can that be? I thought you said, God, that in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But they go on and live another 900 years. How can that be? Because the type of death that is being discussed in scriptures is separation from God. If you think about this in terms of creation, this is the first time, the only time that this has happened. is like a remarkable thing that God separates himself from creation. And it's a big deal. I had the opportunity to be in the birthing room when all seven of my children were born. It was an amazing, amazing thing. And I remember, especially my, my first child, I didn't know what to expect. Um, my, uh, the doctor hands me this baby that I had never seen before. I, I, like, nothing, and he was gooey and kind of yucky, but they handed him to me and and I'm holding him, and all I can think is, I love this kid. I can't imagine my life without this kid. I don't want to imagine my life without this kid. He is fully me and fully his mom, and I can't believe this. I just prayed over him and wept. Love this kid. How much more is God with his creation? I love Adam. I love Eve. I love Kenny. I love you. I made you in my image, and I have nothing more that I want to do than restore you. But Adam and Eve sinned. And in sinning, they separated themselves from God. And in that day, they surely died because they were no longer in the presence of God. So God, from that moment, is working to bring man back to himself, mankind back to himself. He's working. Now, he doesn't say, well... I love them so much. Maybe if I just go and sin like they do, even though I'm a perfect God, you know, I, I'll just go sin with them because I love them so much. I want to be with them, so I'll just sin. 
He doesn't do that. Everything he does from that moment on is to bring mankind up to where he is, to bring them back into relationship with him, to bring them in connection with him. That's, that's his goal. That's what he does. He does it many ways. One of those ways is found in Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16, God establishes the day of atonement. On the day of atonement, the high priest is supposed to go into the holy of holies. There he places blood. And like this is a prescription. There are things that he has to go through very specifically, this high priest, to place blood on the altar. Uh, Some of you have probably seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what I'm talking about? The Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so it's like this box, and there's, uh, a, they're, they're called cherubim. They're types of angels, and they're on either end. And the high priest has to put this blood on the mercy seat, which is right in between these angels. And if he does everything correctly, if everything is done rightly, then God accepts it, and it covers the sins of Israel. Doesn't take them away, covers it. Leviticus chapter 17. I'd encourage you to go ahead and go there, if you would, please. Leviticus chapter 17, and we're going to look at verse 11. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Listen to this. This is very important. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement. Let me pause there. This is one of those Bible words that can be confusing sometimes. So what is atonement? Like, that sounds pretty fancy. Well, let's just break it down. At one. At one. Atonement is being at one with God. So that's the idea. We are at one. We are brought back into a relationship with him. For your souls. For it is the blood that makes at one by the life. Atonement by the life. It's the blood. Don't forget that. It's the blood. That's a big key. It's an important piece of this whole puzzle. It's the blood. It's the perfect blood that's placed on this uh, uh, mercy seat. It's this perfect blood that covers the sins uh, of the people of faith. It's this perfect blood that's set there. One piece I haven't told you that is also very important is found in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, God meets Abram. Abram later becomes Abraham, but he's Abram at this time, and it's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And, you're, and in Genesis chapter 15, God does something that was common in those days among kings. So a conquering king would conquer a kingdom, and he would bring their king out, and they would make a covenant together. And the covenant would go like this. Um, You give me taxes, you give me your men for battle, and I will protect you. You'll be under our authority. Uh, I'll protect you, I'll care for you, and you can remain king, which is better than dying. And they went, yep. And so they would take these animals, they'd cut them in half, the blood would drain to the middle, and they would do what's called a blood path. And they would walk this blood path or this blood path covenant. And the symbol is this. May it be done to me, as has been done to these animals, if I break this covenant. So the conquering king is saying, if I don't protect you, if I don't allow you to be king, then may it be done to me, as has been done to these animals. The conquering king, may it be done to me, as has been done to these animals, if I don't pay you taxes, uh, if I don't send my young men to war, may it be done to me, as has been done to these animals. So, in Genesis chapter 15... God tells Abram to cut these animals in half as a sacrifice and the blood drains into this valley. 
And something amazing happens that we can just read over it if we're not careful. This is the amazing thing. God passes through it twice. Without getting into the nitty-gritty, the symbolism from the ancient Jewish culture is man and God. What? God is saying this. May it be done to me, as has been done to these animals, if I break this covenant or if you break this covenant. God is willing to give his life. We see it in Genesis chapter 15. His blood. So now fast forward. We're going to go to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, God dwells among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God is willing to come from his throne in heaven down to earth. Among the muck and mire, but he never sins. He lives a perfect life dedicated to the will of his Father, knowing what his goal is. And his goal is to go to the cross. His goal is to be raised from the grave. His goal is to conquer sin and death. That we would have life. Lachaim, to life. So, in chapter 19, John chapter 19, go ahead and turn there. And again, if you have your pen... um, I would encourage you to underline, if you have your highlighter, highlight. In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus makes this amazing statement on the cross. So he has illegal, he's gone through a series of illegal trials. They've put him uh, to be crucified. They crucify him. He's on the cross, and this is what happens. Verse 30 in John chapter 19. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. I love that last clause. Gave up his spirit. They didn't kill him. They didn't murder him. He offered his life. Don't miss this. It is finished. The root of that word is a a great Greek word. It means to be paid in full. Jesus is saying, it is paid in full. And he gives his life. What is paid in full? This covenant may it be done to me as has been done to these animals. If I break this covenant or if you break this covenant, what is there? This blood that has been placed. Wait, we didn't talk about that yet. How has there been blood placed on the atonement seat? Good question. I'm glad you brought it up. Go ahead and look over at chapter 20. Chapter 20 of John. Again, amazing thing. Uh, Mary Magdalene goes to see Jesus in the tomb. She hears that he's not there. Uh, She runs down. She stoops down, looks in the tomb, verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now, in in ancient Jewish um, writings, you have to be really, when you see very specific things, you need to pay attention. This is one of those. Why does he say there's an angel at the head and an angel at the feet? Like that kind of seems out of the blue. Isn't it enough to just say there are two angels in there? Oh, there are a couple of angels hanging out in there. Oh, the angel said this. There were two angels. Like, isn't that enough? But it's very specific. There's one at the head and one at the feet. That means that the body of Christ lay right there. Now, I want you to imagine that this body that has been crucified is there or had been there. It had been wrapped up. Now, not just that, but he had also been whipped. Cat of nine tails. Uh, There's a lot of different ways that they prepared that specific 
uh, instrument, but it was to inflict the most amount of pain. They would often say, uh, we're only going to give you 39 lashes. Why? Well, why not 40? Because 40 will kill you. So we're just going to stop at 39. That's how they thought. And Jesus' back would have been just slashed with that and laying on that slab. What am I telling you? I'm telling you his blood would have been placed there. Why is there an angel at the head and an angel at the foot? One of the reasons is that the Holy Spirit, who is the author of all Scripture, uses different people to communicate the Word of God throughout time. In this particular time, he is telling us something very specifically. There's an angel at the head and an angel at the feet where the body of Christ was that is where the blood of Christ was laying. There's this beautiful picture of this atonement that took place at one. Later on, we find out that it's this blood that doesn't just cover our sin, but takes our sin away, that connects us ultimately to God himself, restoring this relationship. God is willing to span time and culture and situation and pain and even death to give us life. And it's a big deal. And it's a big deal to God. We have to ask ourselves, is it a big deal to us? I think often we live in a transactional society and so we think transactionally. Like, I'll follow God if I get this from God. Uh, We hear these kind of prayers all the time. Uh, Lord, I'm in a bad situation and if you just do this one thing, then I will dedicate my life to you until I don't. (laughs) Like, what? We hear it all the time. That's transactional. What God is calling us to is to engage in life. To live life, to have life, to experience life. And he was willing to die on the cross that we could have life. He was willing to raise from the grave that we could have his spirit and live life. A life restored. So, why in the world did God relent to King Ahab? Why did he do that? Because it's a big deal. God. If you're willing to just say, you know what? I'm not God and you are. And your standards are not always my standards. And when I break your standards, Lord, I need to repent. I need to be sorry. And I am. And that's what we see, at least in this moment, the snapshot with King Ahab. And God is like, if you just crack the door, I'll come in, Ahab. I know you're wicked. I know you've done terrible things and I know that you're going to do bad things. But in this moment, at this place, at this time, I am willing to to expand heaven to earth and I'm willing to meet you in this place and I'll relent. I'll pull back this bridle. I'll bless that, Ahab. And I wonder what it is for us today. I wonder if there's some sin in our own lives that is keeping us from really experiencing life. You might say, well, Kenny, I said this prayer one time when I was 12 or at camp or whatever. Do I, do, I have to, do I have to keep doing that? Well, no, you don't have to keep doing that. We're not talking necessarily about salvation, but living that salvation out day by day by day by day. Like, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Second Chronicles 7.14 God is speaking to Solomon. And in speaking to Solomon, he's telling Solomon something 
that's very important. And he says, there are going to be some days when the people of Israel, they're going to leave me and they're going to follow other gods. And this is what you're to do. And he says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. And a little bit of humility goes a long way. And so church, um, we're here today and we might have some business to do. At some risk, I'm, I'm going to share some personal opinions. Not church policy, personal opinions. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm just like really done with COVID right now. That, uh, I'm, just, I'm just being honest with you. Uh, I, I, I hate what it's, I hate the effects of what it's done. I've seen how it's divided people, even these things with masks, how people have gotten very upset and agitated. I've been upset and agitated about it. Um, and then I read in Romans. <laughs> this week, that's where my uh, devotions took me, and I was in Romans, and this is what it says. I'm paraphrasing. It says, uh, God puts people in positions of authority, all governments, okay? To obey them is to obey me. Okay. My heart isn't there. God, I'm struggling, and I've sinned. That's rebellion. God, forgive me. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about this issue of repentance. Because if we want life, church, I think we want life. Do you want life? And we're going to have to do something about it. The scripture says it this way. Um, the wages of sin is death. When you and I sin, we get paid in death. It's like this. If you were working hourly, every hour you work, you get paid X amount of dollars. Every time we sin, we get paid in death. I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of it. I can't stand it. This world stinks with it. The world system stinks with it. And we need Jesus. I want life. I want life. The second part of that goes on to say, So uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just so you know, it's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christmas is coming. I want you to imagine that under your Christmas tree is the present. I don't know what the present is for you, but you do. What is the present? It's that present that you like, oh, I've never even asked for this because it's so outrageous. It's nuts. It's crazy, but I've always wanted it, and I can't believe it's under my tree. It's the best present ever. Christmas comes. You know that it's the best present. And you go, "Hmm, maybe I'll just open it tomorrow. Tomorrow comes. Maybe You know what? I'm going to wait. I think I'll really appreciate it in a year or two. Like, that is stupid. No one thinks like that. But we do with eternal life. Like, how do we do that? This is the best gift ever. Take it. It's a gift. Receive it. Unwrap it, open it up, live it, play with it, enjoy it. (laughs) It's eternal life. It's a gift. And sometimes we think, again, that this is just a prayer one day and it's done. 
No, it's a lifestyle that I live, that I take out and I enjoy day by day that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It's an amazing thing. It's this idea that I have this default system in me that wants to sin, that drives me to sin. Like I kind of like it sometimes even. And God's saying, no, no, that way is death. Come with me this way. In fact, I can show you the way because I died on the, sin, uh, on the cross for your sins, Kenny. That you could have life. Years ago, uh, we were in a meeting. And the meeting was, over, over the course of a couple of years, this particular board didn't get along. And there was infighting. And there was just a lot of um, trust issues. And to the point where uh, someone would say something and immediately you're thinking, what are they really trying to say? Like That's not a great place for a board to be. Our district superintendent showed up to the meeting and he said, before we go down this and before we talk about the agenda today, I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want you to change the word love with your name. And Kenny, since you're a pastor, you get to go first. Cool. So, okay, Kenny is patient, Kenny is kind, he does not envy, he does not... And, okay, so I go through the whole thing. And he goes, are any of those things not true? And I said, well, all those things probably aren't really true. But the one that I'm most convicted about right now is being kind. I'd say, I'm, I'm not really being kind. That was a safe answer, I thought. One of the guys in the board meeting says this. That's okay. I've never seen this before in my life. My district superintendent came unglued. Like, he snapped. It it was, there was a moment of fear that I had for this old man. And this is what happened. He did like this. It is not okay. Kenny's sin put my Savior on the cross. It is not okay. Don't you dare say it's okay. You can say I don't forgive you. You can say I don't care. You can say get out of here. You can say I need time away. You can say I forgive you. But you cannot say it's okay. It's not okay. Man, there was a change in that place right then. And we started confessing some sin. And it went deeper than being kind. And I would suggest that, church, we need to do the same. There may be some sin floating around in our hearts. That's okay. It's not okay. I know this, if we want life, if we want to experience the kind of life, that abundant life that God has called us to, <laughs> he is willing, and he is willing. If you just crack the door, he'll come in. He's just, just try it, just open it. Just take the gift and receive it. Like, that's it. He'll do the rest. It's his work. He loves this. But we have to be willing to do it. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you might be thinking, yeah, but Kenny, you don't know the sin, the secret sin of my heart, and I don't even want to say it because I don't think God can forgive it. You know what? God's bigger than that. He's bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your sin individually, our sin corporately, our sin in the United States, our sin in the world, our sin in the world right now. Uh, cumulatively, all the sin that has ever existed and all of the sin that will ever exist, he's bigger than that. So don't let that excuse stop you from humbling yourself before God. In just a moment, the worship team's going to come out. And as they come out, I, 
I'm going to ask you to be willing to join me in just a time of confession. Nobody enjoys confessing sin, but I want to tell you that you're going to hear some things that you'll connect with and be like, yeah, that's how I am too. That's my sin too. I'm just going to ask you to shout those out. Let's, let's deal with God right now corporately. Let's deal with God together. We saw what happened to Ahab, this wicked, wicked man who led Israel astray. He was just willing to say, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I hate that that's true. Forgive me, Lord. And God was willing to relent. What would God do with his church that he loves, that he created in his image, that he's in the midst of restoring? What would he do here? I think some amazing things. Would you just stand with me right now in an attitude of humility? In a moment, I'm just, I'm just going to ask you to shout it out right where you are. And it's not fair if I don't start it. So I'll start. Lord, as we come before you, um, I just want to start by saying, forgive me for my attitude of rebellion. might just have that on your heart. You want to say, Lord, forgive me for being angry. Forgive me for lying. Forgive me for choosing fear. Whatever it is, shout it out now. Now is that moment.